Today's gospel is obviously about our Lord's walking on the water and Peter joining him. And so it's interesting to notice how the gospel begins. It doesn't begin with them out on the lake, but it begins with the aftermath to what would have been last week's gospel had we not had the Feast of the Transfiguration. That was the feeding of the multitudes. And after feeding the multitudes, Jesus separates from the disciples. So he sends them off on their own first, and then he dismisses the crowds. Uh, and then Christ himself, after separating from the crowd, he goes off by himself to pray to the Father. And I'm stressing this idea of separation because it seems so contrary to what we easily assume the gospel to be about. It seems like the opposite of what we were talking about in the gospel of the feeding of the multitudes. It's bringing together all these people and feeding them with the same food, uh, a sacrament of unity. And so we should be cautious about a simplistic idea of what unity is called for in our Catholic theology. It certainly does not imply uniformity, among other things. There's one more separation in the story. Peter separates from the rest of the disciples. He's the first one to address Jesus, and then he accepts the Lord's invitation to walk across the water toward him. And the separations, then, what we start to see is that they are in the service of reorientation. So our Lord, in separating from the disciples and the crowds, reorients himself toward the Father. And then by calling forth Peter... He orients the leader of the disciples to himself. And so the separations are in the service of a revised order, a directional order. We had a kind of undirectional grouping of people before, but now we see we have the Father, we have Christ, we have Peter and the disciples. Now the monastic life follows this dynamic. The monk separates from the crowd, from his family, from the news, from his job, his school, etc., with the understanding that he is responding to the call of Jesus Christ. Christ is calling him forth, Christ who is the way to the Father. And it's from this perspective then I'd like to address one of the central themes of the story, that of faith, the faith that we need to do this. Our Lord says elsewhere that he came to bring not peace, but the sword. His arrival will cause separations. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. So we should expect certain types of difficulties when we set out to walk by faith. Further, Christ says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So again, we see that the separation out is to follow Christ in carrying our, our crosses, right? So it's an orientation toward Christ and away from a sort of undifferentiated unity that we had before that. So these separations, even the apparent cleaving of the family structure is in the service of a reordering of things to follow Christ. Now the wind being against the boat in today's gospel is commonly taken to be a sign that Christ is not present. And of course, when we first hear about 
the disciples being on the lake and being tossed about, Christ isn't there immediately. But I'd like to suggest, actually, it's the opposite. Again, just as we hear that in the first reading, God's not in all the tumult of the whirlwind and, and the earthquake and all these things. doesn't mean he's not close. In fact, he's very close, uh, so close that Elijah can't hear him until he listens to this small whisper. Often when Christ approaches a demoniac in the Gospels, the demon actually manifests himself more aggressively, right? He recognizes that the, the one who brings the peace that the world cannot bring is close, and his uh, purpose is to drive this demon out. And what we first see is actually a certain amount of violence done to the person who's carrying the demon. Uh, the demon doesn't want to be separated from his host, and in some cases we might suspect the host isn't entirely ready to give up his demon either. So the presence of Christ, again, is the presence of the sword of distinction and clarification. We want to separate out what's truly human from this sort of parasitic, demonic evil. And what happens in the meantime is a, a kind of tumult. So the presence of Christ walking on the water is not one that immediately calms the water. And there's another little point in this story that I think it's easy to miss. When our Lord invites Peter to walk on the water, it would be plenty miracle. If it's just about the miracle of walking on the water, that would be great, because most of us can't do that, you know. Uh, even if the water is placid, but our Lord invites Peter out onto the water while it's still choppy. You know, he doesn't steal the water for him first to make it sort of more encouraging. Just come on out, you know. Uh, as long as Peter is going toward Christ, you know, he gets out of the boat and he does it. He's walking on the water. He's walking on these choppy waves. As long as he's oriented toward Christ, he stays above the chaos. doesn't draw him in. It's only when he turns his attention to the chaos, to the wind and the waves and everything, that's when he falters, right? Uh, he gets caught up in, in all this distractive violence and tumult. This is to say that the presence of chaos in this world, again, is not necessarily a sign of God's absence. It is, perhaps, a sign that we need reorienting, that we have been too enmeshed with earthly things. And I'm inclined to see uh, the overall chaos that is, alas, overtaking our country right now as just such a manifestation. Is it the case that we, as a church, have gotten too comfortable with the kind of bland peace, conformity with societal norms, and so on? And what God is asking of us is to come out, to be separated, reoriented to the Father. And again, the, the thing to remember about this, it won't mean automatic peace if we do this, you know. Uh, when we enter into prayer, it's usually more like warfare than peace. So to do this, really to follow Christ, to get out there and walk on the waters, requires courage. Uh, it may, you know, the first thing that happened may be more chaos, but again, that, that chaos or violence won't be a sign of Christ's absence. And it won't be the case that he's causing it either. This is the spirit of the world we live in. And it's remained largely hidden in our culture, unless you happen to be of, say, one of the underclass. And it needs exercising. 
And in saying this again, I, I really don't want to confine myself to any one political issue or culture wars or something like that. Um, I am thinking of a related evil that I, that I will bring up. It's a decades-old foreign policy preference for destabilizing other countries, causing massive displacement of peoples. I read somewhere recently that uh, the United States bombed 17 different countries last year. We're not at war, <laughs> you know. But the, at some point, that's going to come home to roost, you know. That kind of meddling is going to be a problem. We don't feel it right away. If we're citizens here, we're not getting bombed. But eventually, this is going to cause a kind of chaotic response, you know, and we're going to have to pay for it somehow. And I'm inclined, uh, this, is, this foreign policy is in the purpose of a, of a homogenizing uh, global ideology, globalizing ideology, right, to get rid of the differences, uh, to mess things up <laughs> so that uh, individuals lose power and are e more easily manipulated by advertising and so on. And I'm inclined to see the, the various separatist movements that are causing trouble right now as misguided efforts to counter the chaotic effects of this globalist coercion. And these are efforts that are fueled, unfortunately, by resentment and anger and hatred and not by the love of Christ. So these separations end up targeting the other as an enemy. And so racial tension and violence is at a peak that we haven't seen in about a half a century right now. And so I want to be clear that when we talk about Christ's invitation to distinction, to clarification, to separation, is always one again that points to him, to his cross, and to the Father. And the first separation to which each of us is called is a separation from sin a rupture with any false peace that we've made inside ourselves, with lust, with gluttony, with avarice, anger, sloth, any one of them. And as we move toward Christ in this way and we set out toward the Father and separate from sin, we should expect that first we will encounter choppy waters and winds. There's a reason that we often opt for a false peace, because the true peace takes a lot of work. As we move toward Christ, it's important to listen to him. Take courage. He's close. He's close, especially when things are tumultuous. The peace that he is bringing to us is not a peace of this world where we have trouble, he says. We'll have trouble in this world. So don't be afraid. Don't lose heart as you walk toward Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on the kingdom that is coming. The kingdom that is coming. <laughs> And only when we are moving toward Christ can we then really bring others to him and to the peace, the true peace that he promises.